should like to draw your attention this morning to the words that can be found in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 through Isaiah 53, verse 12. If you're using a copy of the scripture under the seat in front of you, please grab that Bible and it's on page 523. For the last few weeks during the Lenten season, we've been studying different prophecies from Isaiah on the suffering servant passages, how Jesus comes to us even from the Old Testament, even on every page of the Old Testament. And our climax has now uh, been achieved. What started for us on Ash Wednesday with the imposition of ashes and the confessing of our sins, we now have reached the climax of the Lenten season on Resurrection Sunday. There can be no Good Friday without Easter Sunday, and there is no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. We gathered here two nights ago and in darkness confessed our sin again, and this morning now we gather together as the saints, Resurrection Day, to worship Him. The doctrine that Isaiah is going to lay out for us this morning is a doctrine that is called this, substitutionary atonement. And what that simply means is this, substitutionary is somebody else did something for us, that Jesus Christ did a work for us. And atonement meaning that he reconciled a holy God and sinful man. That Jesus, acting as our substitute, did a work for us to bring us back into fellowship with our Heavenly Father. For we are at enmity, as you heard this morning from Pastor Belanger, at enmity because of our sin. But Jesus bore the weight of that sin, died for that sin, that we might be reconciled. It seems so simple, doesn't it? But yet know this, my friends, the doctrine of substitutionary atonement is being attacked over and over and over again in our world today. But we give our full attention now to the reading of God's word and the preaching of God's word to fall in love with this doctrine all over again today and every day. A longer reading, but a necessary reading. So let's look at it together. Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 13. Friends, hear now the very words of God. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet he was considered by him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. 
He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of many people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He has bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And what do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands. Our Father in heaven, we give you great thanks and praise for this doctrine that's before us this morning, the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, that Christ, acting as our substitute, stood in our place, bearing the awful weight of our sin, but dying for that sin rose victorious on the third day, that we might now have life abundant and free only in Christ Jesus our Savior. There is no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved other than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So open our eyes now to behold wonderful things from this portion of your holy law. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. Please, friends, be seated. I'm a pretty detailed person. I like to keep my lists. I like to do everything that's on my list. If you're a member of Redeemer Church, you probably know that already. So when this event that I'm about to tell you took place, it took me by great surprise. Jennifer and I went to Nom Noms to have dinner a couple of weeks ago, right up here at Virginia and Stonebridge. And right as we approached the counter for the young girl behind the counter to take our order, I, I do what I often do. I just pat, patted myself on my back pocket just to feel that my wallet was there, to be satisfied with knowing that it's there and I'm actually going to be able to pay for the food that I am about to order. So I just gave myself a little pat and to my great surprise, there was nothing there. And this flashed through my mind, all these thoughts I just drove a half of a mile without a driver's license. What if I had gotten caught? I have to drive a half a mile back without a driver's license. And then I thought to myself, we're about to order dinner. And I have no credit card. I have nothing to pay for this. What am I going to do? I said, Jennifer, you're not going to believe this, but I forgot my wallet. And she simply looked at me and said, don't worry, I got you covered. And I thought, oh, wow, okay, great, let's go ahead and order. And then I thought, wait a minute, I, I got you covered means that you're going to pay for this, but I know I'm going to get the bill in the mail this next month. I'm going to be the one paying for this dinner. You're not going to actually cover this. You don't have me covered. All you have is a piece of plastic in your purse, and I don't have that piece of plastic in my pocket. And that's no covering, really, at all. 
And such is the case, my friends, with the gospel, is it not? Listen very carefully, please. Isn't that the way many times we treat the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus comes along and tells us that he's got us covered. He's got everything covered. He is going to pay the, the full price. And yet in our minds, we take that to mean that he is just going to do that last great big event that I could never do, but only after I have done all these wonderful things in my life. I've done all this good stuff over and over and over again, so no wonder he's got me covered because I'm such a great person. I've done all these wonderful things, and now he's just coming along to do that which is needed at the very end to make up the difference for me. If that is your theology, friends, in all love and affection, let me simply say this to you. The Bible knows nothing of that. The Bible knows nothing of that gospel because that is no gospel at all. As the Apostle Paul tells us as he writes to the church in Galatia, that is no gospel at all. It's an anathema. It is from the pit. Here we have, my friends, even on the pages of the Old Testament, here we have Christ saying to us, God the Father sending his only begotten Son to say, I have got you covered completely, everything. There is nothing that you can do. There are none righteous, no, not one. I'm not coming to simply make up what you think is the difference. I am coming to pay the full penalty, the full extent of your sin and lavish my grace and mercy upon you in the forgiveness of that sin. We finally have a real substitute, one that we really need, and we don't believe it. We believe there is something basically good in us. And he just comes along and makes up the difference. Now let me just quickly walk you through all of Scripture to simply say this, this picture of the substitutionary atonement, that Christ is a substitute who stands in our place to draw us back into connection with God. This is not the only place we read it. It is throughout all of Scripture. If we go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, the first book, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is what we refer to as the proto-euangelion. The proto-first-euangelion, the Greek word for gospel, the first gospel, that he is coming to crush the head of the serpent. There is the, 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 the prophecy that Jesus is coming someday, and he will crush the head of the one who leads us astray, who drives us, leads us into our sin. Following that, then, in Genesis chapter 22, here we read now of the first substitutionary atonement. We have, uh, we have uh, Isaac and Abraham, and Abraham is told to take his son up on the mountain and to offer his son, to sacrifice his son. And the son, Isaac, looks around and says, Father, the wood is here, the fire is here, you are here, I am here. Where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide. And then we read later the ram that's stuck in the thicket and it's slaughtered and it becomes the sacrifice, the substitute. Instead of Isaac being slain, the lamb is slain. We move on then into Exodus chapter 12 and we read the children of the, the Hebrews, the Israelites are told to take a lamb, the substitute, the sacrificial lamb, slaughter that lamb, one for each family, and take the blood of that lamb and smear it on their doorposts so that as the angel of death comes through, it will pass over that particular house seeing that substitute, the blood that has been shed for the forgiveness of their sin. 
Leviticus chapter 16, the first event of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where we read the Israelites, are all, each family, to, to take the sacrificial substitutionary lamb, to place their hands on that lamb, and to confess their sins, thereby transferring their sin from them to the lamb. And then the lamb is slaughtered, it is slain, the substitute for their sin, bearing the weight of that sin. Then we get to the middle of the Bible. That's the beginning. The middle of the Bible, and now we have this passage here, the end of 52, the beginning and all of chapter 53 from Isaiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. As he said, he was like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a lamb who was silent before his shearers. It's no longer going to be an animal that will sacrifice to be the substitute, but it will actually be that one that is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. We read here in the middle of the Bible, in the Old Testament. Then we get to the New Testament, and what do we read? In the opening of the Gospel accounts, John the baptizer points to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then all the way, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, our call to worship this morning. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory and wisdom and power and strength. The substitutionary atonement of Christ Jesus himself is throughout all of Scripture. And to deny that is to deny the Bible itself. Throughout all of the Scripture, we have a substitute, a real Genuine substitute who doesn't just come along and make up the difference, but he bears the total weight of our sin. And so what is my question for you this morning? It's found in Isaiah 53, verse 1. Look at it. Who has believed this message? Who has believed that the arm of the Lord has been extended to them? Who believes in the doctrine called substitutionary atonement? I do. I do because it is my only hope. It is all our only hope, my friends. And so let's look at this very briefly. I promise there are five points, and I promise this is not going to be a five-point sermon like you're accustomed to usually. If you've closed your Bible, open it back up for me, please, because I want to show you five pictures of our substitute that come in three verses with each one, three verses of five different Pictures of our substitute. The first one comes at the end of 52, verses 13, 14, and 15. That Jesus is our substitute who is highly exalted. Isn't that what it says in verse 13? He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Now what you need to know is this. Isaiah is writing 700 years before Jesus Christ even is born. 700 years before Christ comes... The prophet is prophesying that he will be highly exalted. But then look how he goes on to describe him. We were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man. His form was marred beyond any form of a human likeness. He is highly exalted, but unexpectedly so because of his appearance, because of the way that we have looked at him. Because of this marring. And look what the prophet says. He was marred, the end of verse 14, marred beyond human likeness. He did not even look like a man. 700 years before Jesus would bear the awful weight of our sin and the persecution by the Roman soldiers, 
that ended in his dying on the cross when he was beaten and flogged and whipped. He doesn't even look like a man. He has no resemblance of a human form at all. Now, I don't want to make light of Jesus' sacrifice. That's not why I'm connecting this illustration. But you know one of my favorite movies is The Princess Bride. And this is when Wesley is laying on the bed, you remember, and Humperdinck comes in and challenges him to the death. And Wesley says, no, 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 to the pain. To the pain? What is to the pain, Humperdinck says. And he says, it's this, you know, I take my sword and I cut off your nose and then I pluck out your eye and then I cut off this hand and I cut off that hand and I cut off that leg and Humperdinck says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you cut off my ears, yeah, I know, let's get on with it. And Wesley says, no, no, no. Your ears I leave so that when every passing woman sees you on the street, they'll cry out, dear God, what is that thing? And that's exactly what we have here. He is highly exalted, and yet he, he bears no resemblance even, even of a, a, a human being. We say, dear God, what is that thing? But it is in that very sacrifice as a substitute, friends, that we have the good news found in verse 15. He is our substitute now who gives grace to many nations. Here is the prophecy that we are going to be engrafted in, into the promise, the covenant promise that God gives to the Israelites, to the Jews, is now for the Gentiles as well. What Paul later tells us in the book of Romans, the engrafting in of people like you and me, of the Gentiles, into the covenant, covenant chosen people of God, the Israel has now become the new Israel, the church, us, today, because of the beauty of the highly exalted one who sprinkles this grace even to many nations. He was highly exalted as our substitute. Secondly, verse 53, the first three verses, our substitute was greatly despised. He had no beauty in him, no majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected. He was rejected, why? Because he was ordinary. People looked upon him when he came and saw nothing spectacular in him. He had no beauty or any majesty to attract us to him. All of those, all those paintings that you see of the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, baby, baby blue-eyed Jesus, throw that out, guys. Throw that out. Those little fat babies sitting in Madonna's lap with the little halo around his head, throw that out. There was nothing in him that would attract us to him. And so he was rejected. And, and don't we do the same thing today, friends? Listen, when we look upon him and we say, yeah, 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 I, I know I need to answer this question. Who has believed the message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been extended? But, you know, I'm not going to deal with that today. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pass it by today. I, 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 maybe on my deathbed, maybe then I will, I'll cry out to him. We reject him still today, my friends. He was rejected by people like you and me. I'll get to that later. I'm having too much fun in my life now. And not only do we reject him, but we actually despise him. Isn't that what the, the scripture says? Verse 3, he was despised and rejected. Despised by them because they were looking for a king to come who were going to set them free. They had been in bondage in Egypt and they had gotten out. They're about to go into bondage into Assyria and later into Babylon, but they had been promised to be set free. 
But yet they're saying, he's supposed to come, like the Palm Sunday, riding on a big old horse, not a donkey. He's supposed to come as a mighty warrior to fight our battles for us. And because he was different, he was despised. How about you? Oh, I tried that God thing once. I had a, had a problem in my life, and I cried out to him, and you know what? He didn't answer me. He didn't do anything. Don't need that anymore. Done with that. I tried it. It didn't work. We despise him and reject him as well. That's exactly why Rembrandt, when he painted the rising of the cross, painted his own face in the crowd at the foot of the cross hurling insults at the Savior. Because you and I belong there as well. He was despised. He was rejected. The third one then comes in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 3. Our substitute was not only highly exalted and greatly despised, but he was also thoroughly crushed. Look at verse 4. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God and smitten by him. He was afflicted. He was crushed. Punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Friends, what you need to know in this passage, right, passage in verses 4, 5, and 6 the pronouns are emphatic in the Hebrew language. What was the original uh, language that this was written in? There are two ways to do that in Hebrew. You can take a verb and you can put the, the pronoun at the end of the verb, which will show possession and if it's active or passive, if it's first, second, or third person, and so forth. And you just tack it onto the end of the verb. Or there is an actual noun, pronoun, word. You can use that. But if you use the actual pronoun word and you put it on the end of the verb together, it makes it emphatic. You're stressing the fact. And that's exactly what we have in Genesis 3.15, the proto-euangelion. He will crush the head of the serpent. It's emphatic. And it's emphatic right here. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. You see, it's by an actual individual, one person, Jesus Christ. And this sacrifice, this substitutionary atonement that he made is for a particular people. It's not for the sins of the whole world, but for the sins of his elect people. Because the emphatic use of the word our, he was crushed for our iniquities. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. For those who believe the message to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed and extended by grace. We believe because he allows us to believe, drawing us into his favor, into himself. He did a work for us. Oh, that's a sweet gospel. It's the picture, my friends, that we find if you know the, the movie or the musical, Le Miserable, when Jean Valjean is on the street with Javert, and the old man's cart, the wheel breaks, and he, he's trying to fix the wheel, and the cart falls down on the old man. And Jean Valjean runs over, and he gets up under that cart, and he bears the weight, standing up to free the old man with every vein in his forehead and in his neck popping out as he stands there shaking under the weight. But the difference is this. Jesus Christ did that, and then... It fell on him. It crushed him. It crushed him 
beyond any kind of a resemblance of a human being. Why? Because he is now under the full curse of God. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. He is under the judgment of God himself as our substitute. He who did no wrong, who did no sin, has now taken on that sin. And he didn't just fill up the difference, make up the difference. Beloved, he was crushed for our iniquities. Which is exactly then why we read the fourth one in verses 7 through 9 that our substitute was completely silent. He stood oppressed and afflicted. Nothing came out of his mouth. It's like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, verse 7. And like a sheep before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. Why? Because he was guilty. Not guilty in that he committed the sin. He who knew no sin, the scripture said, became sin for us. He willingly and actively, because of his love for people like you and me, would take on, he would be crushed. He would take on the crushing weight of our sin. And so he's standing before a holy God under that judgment for the, the curse that he now bears. He had nothing to say. There's no argument to be made because he is bearing the guilty weight of our sin. Friends, listen. What does that mean for you? Jesus Christ came and he bore the full penalty and guilt of your sin of pride, of your sin of rebellion, of your sin of addiction to substances, to pornography, to whatever it may be. He died for your ego. He died for your idols that you set up. He died for your doubt. He died for your rebellion. He died for it all. Not that we might continue to live in it, but that we might die to it and live in the freedom of the gospel. If that describes you, any of those sins, if you have confessed those sins, friends, the gospel is this. He's cast it as far as the east is from the west. Shout hallelujah. That is, that is great news. Great news for people like us. Completely silent because he was bearing your sin in his body as he stood before a holy God. It's the very opposite of that stupid commercial that drives me crazy, that insurance commercial of the guy who says, I got this, I got this, I got this, you know, carrying the little baby that has the explosion out the back of the diaper. I got this. And then he steps outside and the tree is laying on top of his car and he says, I don't got this. But that's the way we treat the gospel many times, isn't it? Oh, I got this. I got this. Oh, I don't got that. So come in and, come in and just take, take that away. To, uh, fill, the, fill the void. Make up the difference. No, friends, the Bible knows nothing of that kind of a gospel because that is no gospel at all. The gospel is that he was your substitute and he atoned for you. He died for that sin. And then we have the good news, the greatest news that could ever be found. That's the hope in verses 10, 11, and 12, the last triplet there, the number five. He was our substitute that was highly exalted, our substitute that was greatly despised, our substitute that was thoroughly crushed, our substitute who was completely silent, and our substitute who is perfectly prosperous for us. Look at it. It was the Lord's will, verse 10, to crush him. But after that crushing... Verse 11, after the suffering of his soul, 
He will, 700 years before it even takes place, He will see the light of life. He will be satisfied. Death to life, darkness to light, unrighteous to righteous. That's what happened on the resurrection day. Jesus, having bore our sins in his body on the tree, dying for those sins to set us completely free. This is not good news. This is great news. The greatest news of all. Because he did a work that you could never do for yourself. He didn't come along and just make up the difference. This whole idea in our culture of God's job is to punish the wicked and reward the good. There are none righteous, no, not one. That was our law passage. But in Christ, the one who substituted for us, who stood in our place and bore the crushing weight of that sin, died for that sin. That today now, I am set free. I'm no longer a slave to that sin, but I am free in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his Son, the Spirit who lives in me, I live in the fullness of that resurrection joy. Do you believe that? That's the question. Who has believed the message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been extended? Just a picture of the strength of God to accomplish a work for you that you could never accomplish for yourself. You believe it? Have you experienced it? Fiorello LaGuardia, when he was the mayor of New York City, was known for stepping in to uh, the heads of different agencies in the, the work of the city to, to fill in for them for that particular day, to do their job for a day so that he could relate to them. He could understand what it was that, uh, that they endured every day. One particular night, he was presiding over uh, night court, and the bailiff brought to him uh, an elderly gentleman who had been arrested for stealing a loaf of bread. LaGuardia, sitting on the bench, said to the man as he stood before him, I find you guilty. The fine is $10. And standing up then, he patted himself on the back, grabbed his wallet, threw out the $10 into that big sombrero that he used to put everywhere, threw the $10, and he said, But I got you covered. And then he said, and what is more, I'm going to fine everybody in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where a man has to steal a loaf of bread to eat. Bailiff, collect the dues. And he went around, collected 50 cents, and then bailiff, give the money to the man. The man walked out, a free man, with $47.50 in his pocket. And beloved, if you're here today, and your Savior bore your sin. He got you covered. Completely. He died for your sin, crushed. He has set you free from that sin, and now you've got a lot more than $47.50. You have got an eternal inheritance. The full riches of heaven have been lavished on us by this substitutionary Savior. What a gospel! Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that even here in the pages of the Old Testament, we can be ever reminded and see clearly that we have a Savior who has died for us, who set us free from the bondage of our sin, because that's exactly what we need. So this resurrection Easter Sunday, Lord,
as we celebrate in worship, would you remind us of that? Would you allow us now to live in the fullness of knowing that our sins have been forgiven, that we are mortifying, we are putting to death our sin by the power of Christ who lives within us, and we are living a life filled with the gospel of the joy of grace upon grace. Do that, please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.